This is Returns on Wellbeing Institute podcast. We bring you the latest and best strategies, tactics, and information to help employers boost their bottom lines by investing in healthy and engaged workforces that deliver real ROI. Welcome to today's program. Welcome. I'm Jim Purcell. And I'm Stephen Van Yoder. We're the co-founders of the Returns on Wellbeing Institute and the co-hosts of today's podcast. The World Health Organization has said poor mental health, particularly depression, is the leading cause of illness worldwide. And now with the rise of COVID-19, rising stress, anxiety, and depression have become central determinants of health and well-being. Simon Berger has been working in the live event industry for over 30 years and has launched events worldwide. Simon has made mental health his personal mission. Keynote speakers at Make a Difference World Summits have included top governmental advisors and business leaders from around the world. Today, we'll discuss the role of mental health in the workplace and get Simon's personal observations on how workplace mental health is taking shape in the UK, Europe, the USA, and countries where Make a Difference World operates with the goal of helping employers better embrace workplace mental health. Simon, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Good to be here. Simon, what prompted you to embrace workplace mental health a few years ago? Um, four years ago, my partner in business and also an old uh, dear school friend of mine, um, a chap called Mark Pigu, um, we went through an episode of uh, fairly serious mental ill health when his daughter, um, my goddaughter, um, attempted to take her life uh, in her pact with her boyfriend, uh, equally called Mark. Um, and it was at, at, a, at a workplace. It was um, even sort of like advertised, if you like, um, on the intranet and various other things um, that they were going to have this sort of suicide pact. Um, and I'm just quickly moving forward from that. Uh, four years later, Caroline is doing grand. Um, she's fine, but uh, conversely and, and tragically and very sadly, her boyfriend Mark managed uh, to succeed in taking his own life, which of course had huge ramifications uh, to, to Caroline and, and um, mm -hmm. Mark's family. Um, and it was from there that we decided, Mark and I, that if we could try and utilize the 30-odd years of, of uh, business networks that we created across multiple industries, across multiple territories, um, and make a difference uh, within every workplace in the world, that was like that was something we would want to do. Um, so, but it was through this sort of like um, you know living this experience uh, that Mark and I realised how widespread mental ill health had, had, was and had become, how much stigma there was still associated with it, and how common it was that people didn't know what to do or how to help those who, that were suffering. Um, we also recognised the crucial role that employers can play in that. Um, you know, in, in that part, uh, you know, of making the, a difference, and um, you know, so therefore, as I say, we decided to draw on our networks, and um, you know, and also in the media as well, and try and raise awareness of mental health and wellness in the workplace. But the key part of it was what we we very quickly understood was that in order to make a real difference, it was crucial. Um, that we got behind uh, a movement that was, I suppose, shifting the narrative around mental health from negative to positive, mm -hmm. um, helping people to see that mental well-being is something we can aspire to, something we all have, by the way, and shifting people's attention to prevention 
uh, of mental ill health. So, uh, yeah, and three, you know, three and a half years later, we're we're doing these summits in different parts of the world. We also have a media platform which promotes it 24/7, um, and um, I've loved every single moment of it. Uh, and I just want to say from the very beginning of this interview that. Um, I am not um, in any way medically trained. What I do do, um, we put on great events and we put um, people who, uh, you know, whether they be medical practitioners, employers, employees, a vendor solution providers, we put them all in a room and therefore we, we do create and can share, I'm hoping on this podcast, some insight and trends onto, into better, more healthy and, uh, and more, um, you know, uh, healthier workplaces. 2020, of course, has uh, taken a strange turn for everybody. And I know when we were first uh, introduced, uh, you were planning live events and, you know, life was going on pretty well normal. And then all of a sudden it, it wasn't. Now you're up to uh, what two or three events now? I believe you've adapted and gotten through, or you're going through the COVID situation. So I'm assuming you're getting a lot of um, uh, perspectives from around the world and how you would characterize, you know, the pre-COVID state of mental health that prompted you in the story you just told us to get involved in this versus what you're seeing now. What are some of the top stressors, the new stressors that are impacting mental health? that uh, all of us or employers need to be thinking about. If there was one good thing that's come out um, of this uh, global pandemic, um, for me, it would be that um, uh, the subject of, uh, of mental ill health in the workplace um, has risen to um, the top of the glass, if you like. And, and I think there's a number of different reasons for that, that, you know, people quote one in four, one in five, depending on the statistics and countries that they're talking about. People suffer from, you know, some form of mental ill health or have some form of disorder. But the real truth of it is we all have it. Um, you know, we all have mental health. I said earlier, we, it goes from thriving uh, to striving. Um, and, you know, every one of us will go through some form of mental ill health episode in our lifetime. And I think through COVID, uh, I'd be very surprised if anyone hasn't gone through it in some way, shape or form. Um, and certainly everyone will have known someone who has been suffering in some way. So I think, yeah, it, it's risen to the top, which is a good thing. The, the key now is to make it stick at the top to ensure that, you know, action is taken. It just doesn't come up. It, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that I've learned is and seen is how quickly organizations that were thinking um, pre-COVID um, about um, uh, implementing measures uh, and uh, putting in mental health support. Um, but really, I suppose, maybe as a nice to have, um, but they've really stepped this up now and put plans in place during the pandemic so that when people do return to work, that it's absolutely ready to be there, moving from stigma to solutions, um, ensuring that uh, you know, the, the, the coming back to work is, is, is as important as the workplace in itself, whether that changes to be at home. So, um, and I think there's a whole, also a whole host of different things. You know, in the UK, for example, this issue doesn't just, you know, just doesn't sit with HR or benefits. Um, and when we first started researching this issue, we thought it would be an event for HR professionals. But actually, we quickly discovered that it's a whole range of different stakeholders are getting involved mm -hmm. now. And I think even more so post-COVID um, post is that conversations about mental health and well-being, you know, you know, from the CEO, from the CFO, so from C-suite all the way through to sort of grassroots movements, um, you know, COVID exacerbated the situation. And 
I feel that uh, more people, um, you know, will be involved in these decisions. I think one of the things that surprised me the most about it, though, is how many employers still think that they can determine um, mental health and well-being programs without first understanding um, the needs and the wants of their employees. And again, I think this time we've all had, you know, working from home or working at distance from each other, um, you know, has given us time to learn and to teach these sorts of things. If you don't do that, then, you know, don't be surprised that, you know, the engagement rates with well-being or mental health and well-being programs aren't higher, I suppose. It's at the top of the agenda. It's so important. Oh, my goodness. You know, for purpose, for passion, for your people, and frankly speaking, to, to return to, to profits. The, the Make a Difference events focus on employers and the workplace as being central in addressing overall mental health. Tell us a little bit about why the workplace, in your view, is so central in doing this. Mark and I, um, when we looked at this, um, because of uh, the episode we went through with Caroline, mm -hmm. is we thought, how could we, what could we really do, and, and what, where could we make the most impact? Um, and because we have our business allowed that we did big B2B events across multiple, multiple different industries, maybe 40 or 50 industries, and also fairly uh, territorially agnostically. So we've done it in pretty much every part of the world. So, but they're always B2B events. So we had a huge network, some 30 years, as I said earlier, of, of B2B contacts. And therefore, we, we, you know, we, we thought we could make a difference the most in the workplace from where we were as experienced business professionals. So, for example, so we, we chose the, the demographic of 25 to 65, if you like, uh, the main working age ages. So uh, youth, young people, teenagers, uh, educational establishments, it wasn't something we really knew a great deal about. So we, we, we decided, it, uh, believe me, there's a lot that needs to be addressed there, but I think could be addressed by other people better than us. Conversely, at the end of the workplace, so 65, if you like, plus, although longer life is, is allowing people to work um, you know, longer, which is great. You know, loneliness, separation, um, um, and all sorts of other things. There was not something that we thought we could make a difference. So for us, uh, make a difference was all about workplace well-being. And uh, we do sometimes go into other subjects. So we, we you know, talk, one of the things we talked about uh, last year in, in the last year's UK summit um, was about um, the next-gen employee or employer or leader. So we went into universities and we had 175 UK universities come through with their chancellors. So we do break into those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and the domestic abuse was one of the other topics again. Where does the, where does the sort of like line draw between employer? Um, you know, is it if someone's a, uh, a victim of domestic abuse, is that really you know an employer's issue? Well, it is. If that if that workplace is that that person's safe haven um but so yeah workplaces we feel if we can get that right like any change any sustainable systemic change has to come through an educative process that's my belief and so if we could train the workplaces from next gen all the way through to the you know to and you know and frankly speaking we, we we believe there'll be a systemic change based upon what you've seen so far what are some of the costs that you see for employers who do not address employee mental health it's a, it's a great question, uh, and frankly speaking, it's the underlying backbone of, the, of, of why we do uh, our summits and have our media channel. Um, you know, good the well-being of your your human workforce, the well-being of your people, of your team, your biggest, single, and most strongest resource in any business, is absolutely paramount. 
um, to uh, a paramount and a direct correlation to how profitable your company will mm-hmm. be. Um, there's lots of different methodologies. There's lots of different stories and case studies that have been done. But the business case, the business case uh, of how many billions of pounds are being lost through to absenteeism, presenteeism, leaveism. But basically, you know, the biggest single cause of people who take time off work is uh, have people who have episodes of mental ill health. Mm-hmm. This, even worse than that, the people that stay in the, the work where because there's the stigma there and they don't want to say that they're having a mental, um, uh, you know, something, an episode of mental ill health as they would do in a physical sense if they've broken their arm or something. So they're in their office, but it's they're, they're not present. Present team is about people who are completely and utterly, um, you know, not there, not performing. And then leaveism, the retention of, of, of your best staff, you know, what's the worst thing you can do? To, you know, if, if someone's a, a super, super salesperson, and they're, but they're driving themselves into the ground, you know, because you know, they want to hit targets. The, the, for me, the best thing you can do, your best salesman, every time he does a deal, give him a few days off. That's the guy you want to look after. So, mm-hmm. and, and let me say, this categorically, the, the, the business case is proven. You are losing billions unless you look after your staff. That's a fact. So let's move over from that and now try and implement how we can stop that from happening. And a lot of big companies, um, you know, have recognized this. The biggest companies in the world, you know, are recognizing, you know, that good well-being and mental health gives their employees purpose. Um, and purpose gets, you know, creates passion and passion creates profits, I've said earlier. I mean, you look at, for example, you know, Unilever, one of the biggest companies on the planet. Um, it, that you know that company supports its employees' mental, physical, emotional, and purposeful well-being. Um, you know, purpose being their single biggest driver. Started by their CEO Paul, who's been driving this for five years. You look at PwC, one of the largest consultants on the planet, who now you know has introduced spiritual well-being as one of its pillars. One example is one huge employer in the UK, which is a, a UK retailer called the Co-op. And they've recognized recently, particularly during COVID, the need to support people's financial well-being. Um, and all of these, by the way, so whether it be you know, mental, physical, financial, um, uh, social, or environmental well-being, that all has an impact on one's mental good health. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting time. Anyone who doesn't realize that, that, that it makes business sense to look after your employees right now, particularly going through COVID, frankly speaking, should look at themselves in the mirror as a leader because it's, uh, it, it has to be done. Talk a bit about the actual hands-on role that you think employers should be playing um, and you know, any companies that you've seen that have gotten this right. Okay, well, I'm, I'm delighted to say, if you'd asked me that question three years ago when I was giving the first welcome address in London um, and we had 760 C-suite people in the room, um, there weren't many companies that I could have um, cited, if you like. I've cited already a couple just now. Uh, Unilever mm-hmm. was, was an exception. Johnson & Johnson's another, and I can talk potentially about what they do or you know, um, you know, look at what they do because mm-hmm. they're doing great jobs. But I'm delighted to say that there's many, many, many more companies, and not just enterprise level. You know, There's SMEs down to startups and scale-ups. And I think the first step is always to shift um, the stigma. Right, so to get people talking openly in the workplace, 
Um, and listen, we're, we're, we're still in the foothills of removing stigma globally as, uh, you know, around mental health in the workplace. There's a sure. great deal of work still to be done. But it does feel as though you know, more and more employers are, are realising not just the business case, um, but you know, also the human case and are coming on board with the agenda. For me, it's about changing the DNA, the culture, the corporate culture or your workplace culture. And yes, we need C-suite buy-in. Uh, we've all, you guys, Jim, Stephen, we've talked about this before. Uh, you know about getting that, you know, the the, the C-suite to commit budget over time, um, and then you know, but not, that's not just enough for them to do that. They then have to, um, you know, endorse, embrace. Almost if they were, if there was a building of, of four floors, they have to go to every floor, to every department, and tell people that without them getting involved, this will fail because it will. So. I always I use the the simile of a computer, uh, CRM system. If, if a company is going to have a computer system or a CRM system, but one department decides it doesn't want to input or be involved in that, then the whole thing fails. You're only as good as your weakest link. But if you but as mm. if you look at that a chain, if you all commit to it from bottom to top, you know, the top coming down, the bottom coming up, and thaw, you know, sort of like thawing out that frozen middle of potential doubters. You know, that's the key to do it. So if you're asking me one simple thing to do, change your corporate culture throughout the entire business. Um, get people talking, you know, assess where, you know, the, 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 the problems lie. Be aware that um, people who suffer from episodes of mental ill health um, are all different. This is far from binary. Um, look at the different, you know, um, um, sort of benefits and and guidelines that you've got. Um, I also say mental health awareness for all. I know people talk about mental health first aiders, which is great. I'm not, you know, it's an important part, but it is only just one part. There are only a few individuals in an organization. But if every employee on the planet had some form of awareness of their own mental health, um, and you know how that fluctuates from good to bad, and also those around them, and also to be able to spot the signs, and then secondly, to be able to look after your own, look after those who are around you, and thirdly, to be, in, be able within that workplace, wherever it is in the world, and it could be a football pitch, it could be on a stage, it doesn't have to be in an office, but be aware then of the signposts that you, for yourself, should take yourself to or be able to advise others and that might be to you know your local gp it might be to a mental health first aider in your organization it might be to you know your your um, eap it might be to whatever your hr but be aware in your organization how where to go for yourself and where to go for others you know the, simon the uk and other european countries seem to take workplace mental health at least in my observation more seriously than the u.s does yet uh, why do you think mental health gets more attention in the UK and Europe? And based upon your observations so far, how does that compare to the US? The reason we do these events in different countries, okay, is not because we want a long tail of events. You know, uh, it's the last thing I want, frankly. But if I could do, um, you know, make a difference in every country in the world or every capital city in the world, I would, uh, given the resource, I would. And uh, the reason for that is that there are. Uh, so many different, we're at so many different stages across the planet. Australia, let's look at Australia. Australia are pioneering, leading the way in mental health first aid training. No question about it. Hmm. Um, the UK, I'd say, you know, the UK workplaces are, 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 you know, further along the journey, if you like, to shifting the stigma um, that's traditionally been associated with mental health and mental ill health. 
momentum has been building. Why? Um, the royal family over here, the young royals, the princes, um, they've done a huge amount of work through the Royal Foundation around mental health. And in, not only in the workplace, but, it, you know, um, in sport and all th- in lots of different ways to progress that conversation. Obviously, they're in the public eye. Um, and when we started, you know, researching um, Make a Difference um, back in the, I don't know, when was it, the early the, the January of 2017, you know, it was already clear to us that employers had a burning need for more information about how they could support mental health, which we touched on earlier. Um, but you know, in part because of the royals, celebrities, business groups, uh, everyone was raising the profile of the topic, particularly about you know eradicating stigma. One of the things you should do, or you should do if you're interested in this, is, is go to the, the latest Mental Health at Work report. Um, this is an employers group. Um, uh, it's called Business in the Community. It's one of the Prince of Wales' um, business trust things. And it, and it says that 50, 56% now of people now feel comfortable talking about their mental health at work. Mm. And 63% of people feel their organization supports their mental health needs. You know, and both of those figures are up year on year since we've been working with BITC. So I hope that will happen in, every, in more countries than just the UK. It seems that the U.S. is a little behind the U.K. in this regard, um, although there's lots of organizations, you know, which we work with recently driving this agenda forward, you know, Mental Health America, yourselves, uh, you know, Thrive New York City, NAMI, One Mind at Work, Mindshare Partners, all sorts of others. Heather Kelly, who put together the agenda for our uh, Make a Difference U.S. Summit um, in association with Mindshare Partners, um, she commented in her recent sort of roundup of the, the, the key insights, if you like, for Make a Difference News, that employers in the States um, are really not so far behind the UK employers, and Canadian employers are one step ahead of the US. So, you know, things really are changing, and, you know, mm-hmm. I think it was echoed quite well by one of our speakers, Robert Gill from Square, uh, who, you know, recognising the fact that the... That the fact that the conference, our conference, uh, even exists is a testament really to the fact that, you know, attitudes of individuals and organizations are changing. Based on what you've observed from country to country, what has anything surprised you? The things that surprise me the most is where does it sit? Is it with C-suite? Is it with HR? Is it with benefits? Uh-huh. Is it with mental health first aiders? You know, you've got this whole raft of new um, titles coming up, like, you know, chief happiness officer and well-being officer and you know, all those sorts of things. So I suppose what surprised me is that, you know, it has to be, there's a whole different range of stakeholders that need to get involved. Um, and, you know, from the top to the bottom, why does it need to sit somewhere when it should sit everywhere? That's really surprised me, I suppose. Um, I think also, that, as I say, you know, this COVID thing is, this whole COVID pandemic has, has brought it to, you know, the top table now. I hope it stays there. This is, this is a must have, not a nice to have now. Um, and I think my biggest surprise is that, you know, you've got to do an assessment. It's like anything. If you want to make a change, you've got to find out, you know, where you're at. So assessing the areas which, uh, of your, you know, the areas or the individual employees that you have uh, and about what is required, you know, that will increase the, uh, the engagement of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the attention to prevention, moving from stigma to solutions. You know, this is what we do. Wellbeing programs 
um, uh, mental health uh, programs and strategy and implementation of strategy all comes from an awareness of where one was. Um, and also to have a target of where one wants to get to, and also to have it trackable. I mean, why should it be any different to, to for CFOs looking at an investment or a budget line every year? They want to see um, that you know absentee uh, rates have fallen. Um, that you know um, leaveism. You know they want to look at you know that, that they're retaining and, and they're attracting new talent into their into their businesses. Right. People want to know what to do if they haven't started. What's the first hundred days look like? You know, one of the issues there is is that there's a multitude of different vendor solution uh, providers out there, and it's which ones should they choose, um, and and that comes from assessing one's uh, workforce and workplace to ascertain what is the best form for people to move forward. You have an event coming up in Singapore. Is it uh, next week? I believe. And I know from firsthand experience in traveling through Asia and talking to medical uh, practitioners here that uh, mental health is not something, generally speaking, is, that is uh, acknowledged, talked about, unless it's very extreme, you know. But uh, depression and things like that, not 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 talked about, actually avoided. But um, but you have interest in Singapore, uh, clearly, or you wouldn't be doing the event. But I'm just interested in what you what you're observing beyond the West. And what that maybe you know, says about the future. There are multiple um, places in the world where um, stigma uh, not only exists, but it thrives. Um, and uh, as I said at the very beginning of this, is that you know, stigma is the first thing to, if we don't start talking about it and open up about it, then it will never get better. Um, and I think there are lots of different. Um, um, individual uh, approaches, government approaches, corporate approaches or involvements around mental health in the workplaces. And they do differ greatly and massively. Uh, in the UK, for example, we, we still have a central government that determines national policies. And we still also have, a, very luckily in my opinion, a national health service. Um, but, you know, leaders um, of, of countries like leaders of businesses um, need to get involved. There's just no question. Um, Theresa May, the, the sort of like the, the then Conservative Prime Minister, commissioned a report back uh, in 2018 in the UK, which is called the um, again a lovely read. Do read it. It's a it's a bible uh, really of how a country put into in in, in place um, a strategy to um, uh, review mental health and, uh, and how employers could help. It's called the steam. Sorry, the Stevenson Farmer Review. Please do look it up. Um, and basically, this laid out the core standards for all employers um, and what they should do to, um, uh, you know, what they could do to proactively support the mental health in the workplace uh, and their employees. Um, some of that, some of the, the things, you know, because it happened in 2018, have been refined uh, to make them even more accessible. Um, but, you know, after this report was produced, and if a government wants to get behind it, and that's exactly why we're, we're, we're in Singapore, and I believe that after this event, we will certainly have a lot more support from government to progress forward. But after that report, it was decided that the government would not introduce legislation enforcing employers to support mental health and well-being at this stage, and I want to put that in, in place at this stage. But instead, what it would do is encourage publicly funded organizations, if you like, to lead by example. So 
again, sorry to keep referring back to the UK, but we've, we're four years into that that, that country now, uh, and it's mm-hmm. our home base. Um, but a number of companies there, um, you know, which are, you know, encouraged, um, but equally publicly funded. So there's UK Civil Service, Companies House, the Environment Agency, Network Rail, all of whom um, are leading by example through um, findings and the review in the Stevenson Farmer uh, report. Um, and from time to time, it's still, in, you know, in, in the UK and Parliament, we still hear debates about whether legislation should be brought into, you know, to accelerate adoption of mental health, if you like, and well-being support in the workplace, to find parity of esteem, if you like, with physical mental health. Um, and it was also debated re- quite recently, actually, in Parliament, whether mental health first aiders should be a requirement in the same way that physical first aiders are. So, yeah, but, but, you know, the UK, when we're making strides, and I hope that as we share those, that sort of reciprocity of learning and teaching and best practice and what's working well in the US, in Europe, in Australia, in the Middle East, in Asia, and sharing what's, what's doing well and what isn't doing well. Um, but those countries who do not adopt and embrace um, change um, should be shamed. Um, and, you know, that's our, that's our purpose. We want to make a difference everywhere and we'll continue to do so. There's a great friend of mine, Jeff McDonald, who, funny enough, was the head of HR at Unilever for multiple years. Um, and he, he left this image with me, which is anyone who, anyone who um, speaks out about um, their, um, their episode, tells their story authentically, if they've suffered from mental ill health uh, or an episode thereof, anyone who talks about it, it's like pushing out a lifeboat into... A, a huge ocean where there are millions of people suffering in silence and that lifeboat goes out because someone's told their story and what happens is that all these people can hang on to that lifeboat in some hope that one day they as an employee of any company anywhere in the world can put their hand up and say I'm having a bad day from a from a mental health perspective for, and without fear of reprimand or, or stigma um, and so the more we talk, the more we share, um, the more normalize, you know, we all have mental health. That is a fact. And that's the thing that I want everyone to be aware. Simon, thank you very much for sharing with us. Thank you very much indeed. You've been listening to Returns on Wellbeing Institute podcast. To learn more about our resources and programs that help employers make employee well-being a bottom-line business strategy, please visit www.returnsonwellbeing.com.